You with are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. With whatever life throws your way. And the holidays throw a lot. Like when you make a gift list, check it twice, but still forget someone. Or when you plan a dinner for four, but 14 show up. Or when you turn away for two seconds and your dog eats the turkey. Bad boy, Dino! Walmart Plus saves the holidays with unlimited free delivery on fresh groceries and more at everyday low prices. Start your free trial membership at walmartplus.com. $35 order minimum. Restrictions apply. See membership details. This podcast is part of the BombPod Media Network. show driven by laughter featuring sketches interviews and hilarious conversations and every week we get a new guest he ain't lying we got a guest every single time and when we do we ask that guest 10 questions, questions. which are just random and off the top of our head we have a lot of fun with our sketches and characters so check us out we're on itunes we're on bouttime.lipson.com and iHeartRadio, and anywhere books are sold get to your library All right, welcome everyone to episode 61 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. My name is Jerry, and I'm joined by my mostly lovely wife, Tracy, because she got her uh, hair did today. Thank you, honey bunny. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you guys for everything you do. It's been an amazing couple of weeks for us. We went on vacation last week and uh, ended up at Scarefest, where so many of you fantastic people came by to see us. And uh, it was very humbling for us to have people drive four and a half hours in some instances strictly to see us. And I can remember thinking, you know, Robert England's here, right? I mean, <laughs> why would you drive four and a half hours to see oh us? Oh, my gosh. It was like, I'm like, what's happening? What is happening here? <laughs> it was the sweetest thing, though. And we met some um, awesome listeners and just awesome people. It was so much fun at Scarefest. Yeah. And I mean, it's. The, the people that stopped by specifically to say that we love the show and, and got pictures and stuff with us, uh, I, I can't thank you enough. No, I can't either because it meant the world to us, especially me. Yeah, especially her. Especially me. 
<laughs> so let's start off the show uh, by thanking all of our military and civil servants. Yes, thank you so much. And especially, I tell you what, this world is just keeping you guys hopping and, you know, our prayers are out to Las Vegas. I feel like every daggone episode we're saying our prayers, I mean, we pray for the world anyway, but it seems like we've having to say extra things and extra prayers for something that's happening every single week and it's just ridiculous, but... You know, we can't thank the first responders and all those people, all the fans that were in the crowd that, you know, did everything they could to to help the wounded. I mean, it's just amazing how they all came together. Did you hear the story about the Marine? That stole the truck? Good that, for him. That yes. took the truck? That was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was very awesome. So if those of you didn't hear, he actually found a truck that had keys in it. and he Why was, would you leave your keys in a car? But it's like it's almost was meant to be, you know yeah, what I'm saying? But he was taking... Uh, wounded and shuttling them back and forth to the hospital, yeah. then coming back and getting more. Mm-hmm. And then when the guy whose truck, <laughs> whose truck it was that he took, when he found out and found out what the purpose, he just said, "Hey, I just, uh, I just want the keys back. No, yeah. no harm, no foul." Oh heck yeah! I mean, it was just, it was totally amazing. And and he found that truck on the first try too. It's like the first truck he went to. How crazy is that? That's awesome. I love it when, um, you know, we we have a lot of respect for our military and and civil servants, first responders. And that's why we put that in at the beginning of every show. But we love it when you guys uh, actually write us and tell us that that you enjoy that we do that. Right. Um, Madison from up in uh, Denver, Colorado, she actually sent a message this morning saying that, you know, she joined a police academy and she loves that we do that. We hear from a lot of our military over in Germany, uh, uh, Victoria Reagan, who listens on a regular basis over there and has... Uh, a big part of the the troops over there listening. Yeah, it's so we, great. We we love it uh, that you guys appreciate what we do. It's the least we could do for oh what gosh, compared to what you guys do. I wish I could hug every single one of you. And there's no doubt about that. <laughs> All right, um, let's jump into this. We got two weeks worth of stuff to do, so I want to make sure we breeze through this because I don't want to take away from the show. New Patreons. We, last week, we actually, our Patreons are so awesome. They let us use one of our prior shows, which there were some technical difficulties on. Um, <laughs> for some reason, the last six minutes cut off. I did put that extra six minutes up. Um, so only about half of you have listened to that one. So half, half of you got the full story and some of you missed the little tail end of it, but uh, that's up if you guys want to listen to it. But I want to say thank you because the Patreon, uh, users let us put that episode up and since we put that up we've had like seven or eight new patreon subscribers so obviously oh, wow. obviously you guys uh liked uh what you heard and and what what you get and uh, for the extra episode so we wanted to say thank you for that thank you you guys are awesome so let's breeze through who we got new amy ferguson dylan mcnamara uh we've got donna smith judith kramer todd hedges jordan lee zachary gelderman and Amanda Riley, thank you guys so thank much you. for your support. Thank you so much. Not going to lie to you, we hope eventually to be able to do this full time. So your support actually means a lot to us and it helps us get to that point somewhere down the road. So thank you so much. Amen, brother. iTunes. It just so happens we had a record number of iTunes reviews in the two weeks that we didn't get to report them, which is awesome. Uh, but I actually want to get through all of these. And I'm going to breeze through as quick as possible. So please be patient with us. You guys are awesome. Uh, and for those of you who have screwed up iTunes names, it's probably going to get screwed up here. So, uh, <laughs> you first, know how he rolls. Yeah. First one's, uh, I'm going to say B-Mouse. And then we got Dabist Main. 
We've got Maxwell from Relic. Uh, Relic is a, a podcast, and I'm actually going to be on uh, with Maxwell later this month on one of his episodes talking about the Dybbuk box. So, oh, cool. Uh, thanks, Maxwell, for that. Uh, then we've got JR, JRT Love 87, Kimmy 81, JF95126. I've got Sample MM, Lauren from South Florida, Waldo uh, Green, looks like Julie from Fairdale. Uh, just want to reply. That's a original name you got there. Uh, Sam for Dan, I think. Sam for something. Uh, we got Jason's Dream, which is my buddy out in uh, Arizona who can't figure out why it came up. Jason's Dream. I think she thinks it just picked the name. Oh. <laughs> then we got Twitch Pod, the Gone Cold Podcast, which is also part of the uh, Bomb Pod Media Network. Check them guys out. Um, we got Jason, uh, we got, uh, Merkel, which is also part of our group in there. Awesome. That's just the name of it. Awesome. I don't That's know how they got that. Because they're awesome. Because uh, they're awesome. Pod Save the Queen, ABC 329, Demand 7781, R. Staten, Yates Wob, <laughs> Jess House, uh, TD 3333, Blessed by Three, Philly Phil, Carrie Satch, Sherbert 16, Dustin Holt, Podcast Love 121, Jay Seegers, Broadway, Babe, Pocky, P-O-C-K-Y Crusade, and Polchi 67. Daggone, that's a buttload. Yeah, that is a buttload. I don't think that's an actual measurement, um, but, but it is. Wow, I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you, guys. So, let's jump into our show. We have got some really cool stuff to do. First of all, I, I want to start off by saying... That we got some exciting news that as of this coming Wednesday, we have a featured article that was written by Andrea Whitney, and she is the editor-in-chief for the Jasper Newsboy. And she approached us about doing an article on us a while back, and she's spent the last three or four months gathering information, and she wanted to wait till after Scarefest so she could add some of that in there. And she is actually putting this article together. It will be released this coming Wednesday. And much to our surprise, this thing is going to be in a lot of other papers that we didn't even realize. So we're thinking Jasper, it's going to end up being in uh, Beaumont's newspaper, San Antonio and Houston, where we have a lot of listeners. So you guys out there, check this out on Wednesday. It's going to be in a New Orleans paper as well as the San Francisco Chronicle. Dang. Um, yeah. And then a couple of magazines. And then, of course, it'll be online everywhere. So if you don't uh, buy papers. And you do the online thing, it's going to be online everywhere. We couldn't be happier about this uh, because this shows that there's an actual interest in what we do to where people actually want to run this across the country. So we are uh, very humbled and um, excited at the same time. Woohoo! Now, with that being said, Andrea Whitney has been on our show before. She came on three or four months ago and she told us an awesome story. This is what she does. She writes paranormal stories for these papers and she is going to come on next week. Uh, she's not going to be on this show, but she's going to come on next week's show and tell us uh, about the Black Hope Horror uh, that happened in Texas right outside of Houston. And I'm not going to spoil it for you, but basically it's the story that they based the movie Poltergeist off of. Oh, wow. Uh, a, just a tad bit about it. Mm -hmm. It's a suburb that was built. Uh, they built it over top of an African-American cemetery that um just kind of got a went back that was back in the 30s and it just kind of got a went um 
A rag. A, a rag, I guess you could say. It got bought by some construction companies. They started building it and it just kind of got lost in the shuffle. And uh, the, the people were getting ready to build a pool, if that sounds familiar. You're telling too much. No, I'm not. Can I do this? Are yeah, you done? I guess. Go ahead. And they're going to build a pool and this uh, African-American gentleman, older guy, knocks on their door and says, hey, you don't want to do that because you're going to dig up some bodies. And he knew this because he's the one that actually buried them there because he was the the caretaker, I guess, of the cemetery. Wow, that's crazy. And uh, they actually did dig, and they came up with some bodies. Thus, the whole uh, concept of uh, poltergeist and the whole pool scene and all that was all based on this. Ten times more than I'm ever getting into, but Andrea actually interviewed the owners of the house. She interviewed so many people and did a, a actually a, like a college uh, thesis or something on this. Oh, that's exciting. So she's got tons of information. She's going to come on with us next week and tell that story and she's an awesome storyteller, and it's, I can't wait. It's exciting. So that's what we got. Let's get into what we've got for tonight. I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, our main story tonight is going to be the Highgate Vampire, which I think is a fascinating story. But you guys have sent us listener stories, uh, and sometimes we read them on the air. And it's no secret that when I read a story on the air and try to read word for word, it definitely comes across like I'm reading a story word for word. And doesn't usually come out as well because I probably screw up a bunch of times and we know I'm not going to edit that out. So there you go. What I decided to do, we got a cool story. And I thought, what if I took your stories and did it like I do the regular stories? Just kind of put it in my own words and tell it kind of a dramatic way. And that's what we're going to do tonight. I got a, a, a story from Brian in Ohio and I want to tell his story like we would one of our stories. And I got a feeling that you probably... If I hadn't told you it's a listener story, you probably wouldn't know any difference between that and one of our regular stories. No. So the other thing we've got is I was on a podcast, a comedy podcast from some friends of mine in Louisville called Bout Time, uh, Sean Smith, Patrick Passifume. And during the midst of doing that that show, I told a, a, the story that I've told several times about my mom. Uh, and Sean, the the host, had a story that was pretty awesome. And I thought it would be awesome to have him come on and tell us that story. So he's going to be on a little later in the show to tell us his paranormal story, which I think you guys will also find fascinating. Very cool. All right. So let's jump into this. We're going to start with the Highgate vampire. I'm assuming you know nothing about this. I don't. Okay. That's how we should just start every show. I'm assuming you know you nothing You don't even about need this. to say it. Because I, I think our it, listeners know I don't know or saying. have a clue. <clears throat> so the Highgate vampire, the Highgate Cemetery is where all this takes place. Uh, the Highgate Cemetery was actually started in London in 1839. They had a lot of famous people buried there. Karl Marx, most of you know, he was kind of the guy that started communism. Yeah. He wrote the book on communism. He was buried there. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Jerry Elliott, who is a uh, uh, an author. He was buried there. Uh, Christina uh, Rosette, she's a poet. She was buried there. Now, they're not really famous to me, but at the time, they were famous, Back especially for over there. Right. Mm-hmm. This place was known because it's got beautiful greenery everywhere. It's got winding paths that kind of go around through the cemetery. And these, uh, just the looks of it alone, brought a lot of visitors in there through the 1800s. So it was the place to be as far as cemeteries. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you didn't want to be there. Well, no, you, not you know, for real. But... Visiting, you didn't mind being there. But, <laughs> but by the early early 1900s, it was uh, over full with bodies. Oh. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know how this happens. I mean, at some point in time, do you not have a game plan in a graveyard that says no? They stack there's... them on top of each other. I mean, it's terrible. So when Germany actually bombed London during World War II, several of the vaults uh, were destroyed, cracked open, that type of thing. No. 
by the 1960s, the cemetery was in such bad shape that it was pretty much viewed as an eyesore. So now this beautiful relic, basically, at one time, now is an eyesore. Uh, The surrounding neighborhoods also kind of took a turn for the worst. They were kind of became poor, kind of uh, in disarray, and that didn't definitely didn't help the cemetery mm-hmm. any because nobody's going to put the money to upkeep a cemetery in the neighborhoods that are bad too. Oh, the neighborhood was bad. Yeah, going oh. the, they started kind of, I guess, falling apart and that stuff. You know, that like sucks. And uh, so what happens is soon it became a hangout, obviously, as you would think, for runaways, vandals, drug addicts, mm-hmm. that type of thing, people who just really wouldn't um, just. People who were just looking for a place to hang out right. and do whatever illegal they wanted without being caught. Now, by the 1970s, trespassers were regularly sneaking into the cemetery at nighttime. And obviously, when you start having a bunch of uh, people sneaking in at nighttime in the cemeteries, it doesn't take long before rumors of Satanism and occult activity kind of started spreading around. Well, yeah, I was going to say, who the heck wants to sneak into a cemetery? <laughs> there was one one uh, elderly woman. She was visiting back in the 70s, and she was visiting a relative there. And she said that she was followed on five separate occasions by what she called, quote unquote, odd people. She said they never said a word, but she believed they were uh, conducting some kind of strange ceremonies. And I, they never talked? They didn't do anything? No, they just followed her. And it was five different times. Oh, wow. So it wouldn't like yeah, one just trip. Yeah, one day it was like, like yeah. shh, somebody's behind us, don't say a word. So they started having all this destruction in the cemetery, and uh, it kind of became an interest to the local uh, authorities who wanted to crack down on the vandals and stuff. So mm-hmm. now that now they're starting to pay attention. Vandals had been breaking open coffins. Um, they just kind of smashed them apart. That is sick. Yep. That well, is sick. One vault was wide open and you could see the skeleton that had been pulled from the coffin. Uh, another vault that was on the main pathway, uh, pathway, the main pathway. Ooh, that was like a, that was like a <laughs> well, fancy. It is, it is in England. Along the main pathway. pathway. So along the main pathway. And, Remember uh, where you came from. Yeah. <laughs> they don't play, they pulled this damn coffin out. Is that where I came from? <laughs> That's where you came from. But this, uh, this vault along the main pathway, they had, uh, a coffin that had even been set on fire. What? Yeah. Oh, people get on my nerves. So authorities tried their best to kind of crack down on vandals and the trespassing, but the residents around the cemetery, they weren't 100% sure that this damage was being done by people or vandals. What? Well, they said that there had been sightings of a shadow-type figure in Highgate Cemetery, and these reports actually started getting called into places. And this was even before this went back a couple of years before the crackdown of trying to find out what was going on. The British occult society received two calls from separate people that said that they saw a tall shadow figure that uh, para- briefly paralyzed them. Like it just like looked at them and yeah. when it looked at them, they they were paralyzed. Now, before we move on, we're going to discuss two very important people. that are going to hold uh, a very big part in the rest of our story. And these two people are going to kind of be forever linked to um, Highgate Cemetery and the Highgate Vampire. First, we got David Ferrant, and then we've got Sean Manchester. These men are the chief voices for the rest of our story. That's where most of what we're going to talk about comes from them guys. All right. Now, both of these guys had definite interest in the occult. No ifs, ands, or buts. The first was David Ferrant, and David Ferrant was a Wiccan. 
and a mystic, but he also uh, founded the British Psychic and Occult Society. And it's going to sound a lot like the next group we talk about. <laughs> because Sean Manchester, he was actually a vampire hunter who was president of the before-mentioned British Occult Society. So you got the British Psychic and Occult Society, and then just the British Occult Society. Hmm. And that might seem like... Um, very similar, but as you're going to find going forward, these guys did a lot of stuff that was very similar. So December 21st, 1969, David Frant decided that he was going to spend the night at Highgate. He wanted to either confirm or debunk the whole sightings of this tall shadowy figure. And he said when he got to the gates, he saw a very tall person wandering around inside the cemetery. Now, as he got closer, he said this, this person was at least seven foot tall. It had two eyes on top of an inhuman shape. Oh. Was now, he transparent? Well, he didn't say he was transparent. <laughs> you know, turning your head and coughing doesn't matter. I know. Sorry, y'all. My throat was really <laughs> sore. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm not even sounding like my own self, but I didn't mean to cough in your ear. Sorry. So, Ferent was scared to death after he seen this. He turned around, and then he said he turned back, and when he did, the figure was gone. Now, Ferret, because he was so caught up in this, he wrote a letter to the local newspaper and he asked anybody in the paper to come forward if they had any unusual experiences in the area. Well, much to his surprise, several people responded. Most said that they had seen a very tall ghost that had been appearing from several years back. Uh, others reported a tall man with a hat that walked across uh, Swain's Lane. Uh, that's like a street that kind of runs right through the middle of the, the cemetery. And then, but the guy would walk across the, that path, mm -hmm. but then he would disappear into one of the walls of like the, the cemetery. He would just disappear into the wall. Dang, that's cool. And then some people would say that, that you could actually hear um, a say, church bell. Do. No, sorry. No. <laughs> you could hear a church bell that's in the mm -hmm. little chapel that was there. The church bell would ring during the time that he was walking. Really? Yeah. So not long after this letter, uh, they found the remains of some foxes and some other animals near the entrance of, of Highgate. And they were all drained of blood and the throats had like a slit on it where the, uh, the blood had been drained from it. Wow. The reports of the animals, uh, plus the, the figures that people were seeing in the cemetery led to the belief that Highgate had a vampire. Sean Manchester said that it was a royal vampire. He told the local paper that the shadow figure was actually the king vampire of the undead from Wallachia. I have no clue what Wallachia is, but that's where he said it was from. He believed that he was once a medieval nobleman who practiced black magic, and uh, his followers actually used a coffin to smuggle him into England in the 18th century. He eventually came to rest right there in Highgate Cemetery, until someone conjured him up from his sleep with some kind of a black magic spell. How he knows all this, I have no clue. Yeah. But that was his belief. But that is how the Highgate vampire legend began. Now, the public, obviously, they ate all this up. Ferent and Manchester were both feeding in the this whole uh, frenzy deal going on, but also became very combative towards each other in the paper. So, at one time, they, they, they never were like teammates, Mm -hmm. But they were both kind of on the same side anyway, saying the same thing. Uh, in joint interviews uh, one time with the ITV News, they dared each other to have a vampire hunt in Highgate Cemetery on Friday the 13th. Journalists 
crews, onlookers, and I guess some would-be vampire hunters all lined the cemetery gates. Uh, police did their best to kind of contain the crowd uh, of would-be vampire hunters. Obviously, you can see that's not something they really want to have happen. Oh, is no. A bunch of people running around the cemetery looking for vampires. How do you know it's a vampire? How do you know when it's a vampire? I don't know. I mean, I guess they're just speculating. I mean, by the same old things that everybody else does, that, you know, how, you know, <clears throat> where they're at and what yeah, they're, guess, you yeah. know, I, it's just, I don't know the rules of a vampire because they don't exist. Anyways. Um, they don't? No. The Twilight stuff was just BS. That's not real. <laughs> That's not real. <laughs> but they kind of overpowered the police. They all jumped the gates and ran into the cemetery. I know this is going to be a big shock to people, but no vampire was actually found that night. But oh, there bummer. were some there were some people that said that they saw shadow figures lurking mm-hmm. around. Now, how true mm-hmm. that is, who knows, but that's what the story is. Ferrant and Manchester both confirmed that they hated each other, more or less. Oh, dang. <laughs> but they both continued their paranormal investigations uh, in Highgate throughout the whole 70s. Uh, Ferrant was actually arrested one night after police found him at the uh, the cemetery with a crucifix and a wooden stake. Oh, my gosh. He was so into this. Well, you know, what's funny about that is he's the guy that was the Wiccan and the mystic. <clears throat> and um, uh, Manchester was actually the, the vampire hunter. So, obviously, the relationship between uh, Ferrant and Manchester continued to get worse. Both called the others fraud. Uh, they were <laughs> times when they... Dared each other. This is this is actually funny because this makes you think about back like in the the Wild West days. They actually um, talked about doing a duel to the death. <laughs> and we'll, I'll talk a little bit about that a little later. But Ranche- uh, Manchester actually wrote a book on his own account called The Highgate Vampire. Ferrant, to not be undone, wrote Beyond the Highgate Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> the Highgate Cemetery actually benefited from all this, though, because in 1975, the Friends of the Highgate Cemetery Trust was established, and by 1981, um, the the trust actually bought both sides mm-hmm. of the cemetery because there was an east side and a west side. Now, as, as far as today, you can only access the West Cemetery by an hour-long tour that you have to pay for, but that also gets you into the east side. You can get into the east side uh, on your own, do like a guided tour where you can just mm-hmm. walk around on your own. But either way, either tour you take, you got to buy a ticket to get into. So now you can't just go to that cemetery mm-hmm. without purchasing a ticket to get in. November 2nd, 1968, there was an act of vandalism in London's Tottenham Park Cemetery. Now, this is going to kind of tie in because remember, this was 1970 when most of this was happening. Now, this happened in 1968. Whoever it was that broke in, they arranged flowers in a circular pattern that they had taken from other graves. Now, they made arrows out of the flowers, too, pointing to a, a, a new grave. It was freshly, uh, you know, dug. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't unco- it was uncovered, so there's no dirt on top of it. There was a coffin, and it was open, and the body had been disturbed. And Why didn't they cover it? Why didn't they? What do you mean? Well, that's the whole point of being vandals. They're not going to come in there and do good shit. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> you said that the the hole was uncovered. Right. The vandals might have uncovered it. I don't know. But there was dirt on there before, previously. I don't know that. Oh, I my gosh. Know, I just know there's a casket there and there's no dirt. I just, I cannot for the life of me figure out why anybody wants to get in a casket and remove a body. Well. That's sick. They didn't remove this one. They had actually driven an iron stake that was in the shape of a cross into the chest of the body from the top of the casket. Okay, they, they know this person's dead already. 
Baby, if it's a vampire, He's they come dead. back to life. Oh. What part of vampire do you not understand? I get that part, but how do... Well, I guess you said it was a fresh... I don't know. I don't know how they determine which grave to open or which whatever. That's a good question, and I probably should have researched that, but I didn't know. Well, some of it I do know, and we'll get into in a little oh. bit. Ferret never claimed it was a vampire... He kind of th- he kind of thought that this whole creature was a ghost or a specter, which is kind of funny when you think about it, because he's the one that actually got caught with the stake and the and the crucifix. Mm-hmm. So if you don't think it was a vampire to begin with, then why were you, you out there with that? A- yeah. And Manchester later later wrote in his book that um, on the evening of Friday the thirteenth, that he and a few other people snuck into the cemetery uh, from an adjoining uh, churchyard. Now this was the night that everybody went there and they didn't right. find anything. Didn't find nothing. He said they tried to open the door to a catacomb. Uh, that which catacomb is basically like um, it's like a big vault that would have several bodies in it. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not just like a one little tomb. It's like yeah, you know. So he tried to open up uh, the door to get in this catacomb that a psychic sleepwalking girl had previously led him to. So the answer to your question is, how do they know where to go? Right. He says this psychic girl earlier at some other time led him and said that's where. Um, something was anyway. So that's that's what they were based on. I would love to see their face if that really happened. Like if they went to do that and that person <laughs> jumped up at him and stuff. Well, they couldn't even budge the door. So what they did was they used a rope to climb down into the hole of the roof where they, they, there was already a previous hole there. They climbed down where they found several empty coffins. Mm-hmm. They put garlic in each one of them, sprinkled holy water around them, and there you go. On August 1st, 1970... They um, found a burnt person uh, at Highgate Cemetery. It was a uh, it was a headless body. Oh Lord! And the body had been burnt, obviously, um, to the point where police kind of thought that it was something that had been used in a black magic ritual. Well, I wonder why head- he was headless. I think it was a woman, so it was a she. I wonder why she was headless. I don't know. Aww. Isn't that a Garth Brooks song? I'm, I'm headless. headless. Here for all the world to see. But she was actually found right there by that same catacomb. Oh wow! That he was he was searching in. That's sad. Now, right after this is when Ferent was actually arrested for having the crucifix and uh, hmm. and all that out there. And by the way, that actually after being arrested, uh, it kind of went to court and the charges were dropped. So nothing actually even came of that. I mean, I guess they couldn't. Well, I mean, what can they do? I don't know. I mean, you, can, you can't. I'm trespassing is pretty much all it could be. Yeah. So a few days after that, Manchester came back to the Highgate in the daytime when visitors were actually allowed. So you could come in the daytime. This time, he said that, that his buddy had succeeded in actually forcing open a, a door of a family vault. That was actually another vault that this female mm-hmm. told him to go to. He lifted the lid off of one of these caskets. He believed that that was the coffin that had somehow been transferred from the vault they were at before to this vault. So somehow mm-hmm. he thinks it went from one to the other. And he said that he was about to drive a stake <laughs> through the body that was in the coffin when one of his colleagues kind of talked him out of it. And instead he put garlic and incense in the in the tomb and they pretty much left. Oh my gosh. What a creepster. Come walking around creeping up on people in their caskets and. In Manchester, he also claims that three years later, he found a uh, a vampire, 
corpse is was his term of doing it. That's he was he kind of implied that it was the same one yeah. that he was looking for out there. And he was actually in the basement of an empty house in the Highgate area. He did. He said he did drive a stake through it, and then he burnt the body. So, I mean, first of all, he could be a crackpot and just lying, which a lot of people assume that's all he's doing. Yeah. But that's what he says he does. So these guys were definitely unique, without a doubt. Him and, and uh, Manchester and uh, and Ferent were definitely unique. Now, the duel I was telling you about, that was supposed to happen on Parliament Hill on Friday the 13th, 1973. It never happened. It didn't? Nobody no, showed? No, it didn't happen. So it would be some kind of a magician's duel. I don't know what oh, that would have consisted what of. What a bunch of losers. Now, Ferent was actually put in jail in 1974 for damage, uh, damaging memorials and interfering with dead uh, remains in the Highgate Cemetery. These guys just couldn't stay away from that cemetery. Now, he pretty much insisted that it was vandals that did that, and uh, uh, Satanists had done it, that created the vandalism. It had nothing to do with him. It was all Satanists. Manchester and Ferent still hate each other to this day. They're both still alive, and both claim to be exorcists. Both research paranormal, and um, both try to discredit each other and saying what they talked about. Each one, like... Ferent says that whatever Manchester is saying about um, mm-hmm. Highgate is bullshit and vice versa. We should get them on the show. Yeah, we should do that. And they probably would both come on the show and probably yell at each other. <laughs> Just yell at each other. Sort of like Hatfield and McCoy. Right. <laughs> so that is the story of the Highgate vampire. Dang, that's crazy. And all that time he never found one dang vi- vampire. No, but you know, there's still people now. There's some recent sightings. Uh, that if you go on Google, you can look. I didn't bother to give them any credit, but there's mm-hmm. people now in the last year and a half, two years, saying that there's more sightings of the Highgate vampire. Mm-hmm. But my guess is just trying to drum up some more, some more business, some more business. More oh or less. wow! So I thought what we would do is uh, I wanted to kind of get into the, our creepy fact of the day. This is actually really disturbing. I don't know. This is actually more disturbing than most of these I look up. Did you know that if a bear attacks you, mm-hmm. unlike other animals, it won't kill you. It just starts eating. Oh. Where most of the other animals like that, they kill their prey and then they eat. A wow, bear does That is disgusting. But you know, that goes back to a story I think we talked about. I can't remember if we talked about it on the show or if it was something I posted on the, uh, the page. Uh-huh. But it talked about the woman that was being eaten alive. Eaten alive by the bear, she actually was able to call her mom two or three times while her, uh, the, while the mom and the cubs were actually feeding on her. Oh my gosh, so, that is awful, mommy! They're eating me, mom! Oh my god, they just ate my eyeball, mom! Would you like to give her a bear hug? Oh, that's see. <laughs> she actually was calling, talking about it. her last phone call. Said something about it doesn't, you know. It's going to be okay. It doesn't hurt anymore or something Shut like that. Shut up. Yeah, it's, it's very disgusting. Oh, that poor thing. Why didn't she videotape it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she obviously had a... Well, they had cell phones back then. We know that because she called her mom. <laughs> she could have shared it with the world. That is gross. I would not want to see that. That That is really... That's really, really, really sad. Okay. So what I want to do now... I I'll, said it was sad, honey. I know, and I agreed, and there's nothing I can do about it. Oh, my god! Being sad is not going to bring her. I mean. She her, was barely clinging to life as it was. Stop it. You're so mean. <laughs> oh, my God. So she just, I guess, stayed on the phone with her mom until she just wasn't there no more? I think she called a couple of times. I think she actually hung oh. up and called back. So That makes me, like, gross out. 
No, I'm sure it does. Anyways. Poor baby. So let's go on to, uh, I want to tell Brian's story now. <clears throat> what is a what? I want to tell Brian's story. Brian's story is the one that I told you that uh, he's the listener that wrote in, mm-hmm. and I decided to do this like a regular story. So oh, we're We've never done this before, so let's give this a shot. All right. Don't mess up. Yeah. And and Brian actually has, uh, he never told the story to anybody, is what he said, or he's rarely told this story, and I thought it would be pretty cool. So here we go. 1980s, this is when this is, goes back to, this was back when AOL, obviously, and uh, chat rooms were huge. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, that was the start of all this stuff. Best years ever in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was the 90s. Yeah. No. No, internet wasn't around in the 80s. Back. I know. I'm just saying the 80s were the best years ever. What does that have to do with this I story? I just felt like saying Oh, okay. That. I did say 1980s. You okay. did. Okay. Yo. All right. So this is late, late 1980s. <laughs> and... So Brian's on AOL chat rooms, right? And he meets this girl and they kind of hit it off and they kind of start dating for a couple of weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And during this time of them dating, he finds out that she's really into Wicca and ghosts. Oh, dang. And none of this came up before during the yeah. chats. Well, you know, you don't want to put that out there at first. Right. Understandable. And he still didn't really know how all this would come into play. Until they had a really strange occurrence one night at her house. So they're at her house. They have dinner. And her kids, and and, uh, I'm not sure if it's his kids or and her kids are just her kids. But Mm -hmm. her kids were going to go spend some time with their friends. So they went upstairs, I guess, to get ready. Mm -hmm. They come down. They leave. Well, shortly after that, he hears a noise upstairs like something had fallen. Right. And he goes upstairs to check it out just to see, you know, what, what the hell's going on up here. So he checked the bathroom first, nothing. Then he goes to the uh, the bedroom, and he didn't see anything back there. They were the back bedrooms. Well, as he's coming back downstairs, he's got to walk past by the bathroom again. Mm-hmm. Well, now the bathroom he just walked past, they've got the sink is is blasting hot water. No, oh, so wow. much so that the whole room is steamed up, and obviously he's confused by all this stuff so he says hey i'm gonna still turn it off he reaches over he turns the water off but in the midst of this somehow another he burns his hand yeah i don't know if it was from the water or from the, the faucet yeah, being, hot, being hot but he burns his hand he goes downstairs to get his, his his girlfriend to kind of doctor his hand up a little bit i don't know if they're using aloe or butter or yeah. whatever because i'm sure you'll ask me what did he use gauze or <laughs> i don't know I don't know ointment. I don't know if it was Neosporin. I have well, I no need idea. I no details. Okay. She could have had an aloe plant there. I have no idea. Oh, that'd be cool. Right. So anyway, so he goes downstairs. She's doctoring his hand up. And he says, you know, hey, I'm upstairs. And then he tells her the whole, all the details oh, the story, and the hot huh? water and it's steaming. And she's not phased. Oh, she no. She just a matter of factly says, oh, yeah, that happened night. Oh, dang, every night? Right. And she says, well, not only that. Well, he could've, she could have warned him. Well, he... Didn't, she didn't know, I guess. Well, I guess not. Go ahead. So he says, she says, not only that, but I wake up every single night and find this person or a thing sitting near the foot of my bed. The same, the same thing? <laughs> this per whatever, I guess it's whatever's oh, doing it. And uh, she said, it's sitting at the edge of her bed. And Brian just kind of laughs it off a little bit. And she says, no, seriously. So Brian does the uh, ever popular thing of uh, challenge the entity. That's always a fun game to play. Oh, jeez! And he, you know, he does the hey, come after me and leave her alone. To which his girlfriend said uh, that was like the least most brilliant thing you could have done. No, seriously, because she knows about this kind of stuff. Oh right? yeah, right. So Brian leaves, goes home, and uh, 
he walks into the house, and as soon as he walks in, he said it's like he steps into a circle of darkness. He said it's just almost like, he said, think about like a police light that would be mm-hmm. shining down on mm-hmm. you, but instead of light, it's dark. Oh, that's so scary. So he said, yeah, he said he walks over to the window to kind of see what could be blocking the light, and he didn't see anything, nothing that, that would have been doing that. He starts to walk away from the window, and a stereo just starts blasting music. Now, that would be bad enough, but this stereo is unplugged, and it was broken to begin with. Oh, whoa. So he figures out how to eventually how to turn this thing off. He decides, I'm going to the kitchen. I'm going to get a drink. On his way to the kitchen, he's still pissed off about the whole thing, and obviously not learning his lesson, he challenged the entity again. And at that time, a fan that was in the window flew out as if it had been thrown and just barely missed it. I wonder how he turned the radio off. I don't know. I was thinking the same thing, though. Oh, yeah. I probably should have asked. These are one of the questions I actually could have asked him. No, no. Because he couldn't unplug it. Right. You know, so I don't know. Anyway, so Brian decides, look, I'm going to go to bed. We're just going to end this horrible night. (laughs) And we're going to get up in the morning and start over. Well, the next morning... He gets awakened by a phone. I still, is it awaken or awoken? Awoken. Or awoke. He got up. Yeah. The phone woke him up. It was his girlfriend. Or as we'll call her now, his ex-girlfriend. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she was ranting and raving about how she never wanted to see him again. Brian eventually got her calmed down to the point where he's like, uh, what is the issue? What are you so pissed about? And she said that she found her guard dog. This was a dog that that nobody could go near except for her. Mm-hmm. Hanging from a tree in oh, her backyard. Oh, no. Brian tells her, hey, it was probably a neighbor. And she explained. Oh, my gosh. That's so that terrible. That not only was the dog hanging from the limb, it was hanging from the tallest limb on the tree. What? Yep. Oh, my gosh. She was able to finally get him down. And when she did, it had bites and chunks out of its ear and at its back. Oh, my gosh. And that was the last Brian actually heard of her. Oh, That's not a good ending. Well, I can't. Real life stuff doesn't always have good endings. Well, I don't know. I mean, what are you supposed to say? She took it to the pet cemetery and it came back perfect? That didn't end well either. Did you see the movie? I did see the movie. That's yeah. really that's really bad. Poor so, Bobby. So what do you think? Did that come across like one of the regular stories? Yeah, that is like creepy. So after, I guess then after she was gone out of his life, nothing else happened to him anymore? Oh, no, that's uh, a good question. Actually, he had another awesome story, but rather than to read that, I'm actually going to bring him on in a couple of weeks and tell that story. Oh man, I can't wait. Yeah, because it's actually a phenomenal story. It's different than anything I've ever heard. I can't imagine. He must have been freaking out. Well, I can't think of a better time to jump into our joke of the day. Oh, God. Was that? <laughs> what is it? How about it? that? It's a, it's, a, it's a pleasant joke. Okay. Anyway, so, so this is the joke of the day. You've got a mom and her daughter. They're sitting in church. And a little girl is feeling really upset at her stomach. Mm-hmm. And she looks at her mom and says, I need to go to the bathroom. And her mom's like, no, church is going on. You need to sit down and be still. And the little girl's like, no. I, I'm, I think I'm going to throw up. And the mom said, okay, go out back. Now go to the doors, go around the back of the church. And there's a bush out there. Go out there and do it. So she gets up, she goes out and she comes back and like literally 60 seconds later, 
And her mom's like, how in the world did you go all the way around to the back of the church and get back in 60 seconds? And she said, oh, I didn't have to go all the way out there. She said, I went through the front doors and I noticed there was a box there that said, for the sick. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) that little sweet thing. All right. Just a little quick reminder that uh, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can actually go to our website and the uh, button is right there. So you can click on that. You can also get t-shirts there. We uh, sold a bunch of t-shirts at Scarefest. Thank you guys for snatching yeah, them thank up. Thank you. It was so great. And probably soon down the road, we'll probably come up with a more fuller type store that'll have mugs and uh, different types of shirts and all that stuff. So I'm working on that as we speak, as people have a little more of uh an interest in some other things from us, which we greatly appreciate. It's got me looking a little deeper into it. So give us a little bit of time. We'll come up with something. Yeah, we will. Now, what I want to do is go ahead. And uh, I told you earlier on the show that we had Sean was going to come on and tell his story from uh, about time podcast. So uh, I'm gonna go ahead and play that for you now. All right. I got a special guest on the uh, line here. We've got Sean Smith and Sean is actually a uh, comedian friend of mine from back in Louisville. Him and another uh, friend of mine, Patrick Passifume do a podcast called about time they were nice enough to have me on the show uh this past week and uh had a great time it's been a long time since i've been able to sit in and do any kind of a, a comedy podcast so i want to thank you guys for having me on but yeah. during the course of this podcast sean uh you actually told a story that i thought was was really good and i wanted to bring you on the show and have you tell that story but before we get into that Tell the audience out there a little bit about you and what uh, you and Patrick do on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Sean, and um, I'm a comedian, um, and I also work in two elementary schools. So that's uh, enough comedy for me right there. <laughs> um, and I've been doing comedy for, I guess, this is my 11th year doing comedy. Um, so uh, kind of do something different. Um in a little different way to be creative. Me and uh, one of my friends in comedy, Patrick, we started doing a podcast called Bout Time. And Bout Time is <clears throat> it's a comedy podcast. It's got some sketch and some character stuff. Um, we always ask 10 questions. And then after 10 questions, we just kind of see where it goes. We see if it something funny hits us, we'll go into it. And if not, then we'll just keep it um at the 10 questions but usually we we go off and do our own kind of thing and um every episode is definitely not the same so it's it's fun and uh it's just supposed to be like a light podcast to kind of be the uh the the fun part of everybody's week um so yeah it's 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 fun it's fun to do we've been doing it uh i guess this is episode 78 or 79 that we're about to come up on so uh we've been doing it for a little over a year and um yeah that's that's about it yeah, I will say you're 100% correct in the fact of of uh, having a flow to the show that kind of uh, you never really know what direction it really is going to go in. I know when we did the 10 questions, I mean, I think it took like 45 minutes to do the 10 questions. So it's not a, yeah. a fast thing because, you know, we went in several different directions and, and you know, that's what actually made it fun because uh, you guys are both really good at ad-libbing. So the least the, the something that a subject that you wouldn't even think would be funny somehow turns into a, a funny topic. So I think right. that's, that's the beauty of what y'all do. Yeah, I think the 10 questions usually ends up leading um, what would be a normal interview uh, kind of standard for for, you know, how's your day or what's how'd you get into comedy or those questions that everybody asks. We wanted to do just kind of 
goofball questions and just kind of to know a little deeper stuff about um, the people that we interview that you don't usually get to do. And then within that, sometimes we strike a nerve or strike something that's a little bit off kilter and we can kind of stay there and poke at it and we don't have to, I mean, there, the time constraints are our own. We don't want it to be a forever episode. The episodes are usually about an hour and a half and, um, you know, we just wanted to be able to go wherever it, it, it takes us and, and not be a slave to format, but also recognize the strength in having a format. So, yeah, it's, it's a fun time. And that's what it's designed to be is we just want it to be fun, man. We Everything's so heavy these days. And, you know, I will say for everybody out there, it isn't uh, – there is some foul language if that is offensive to you or, or not. But it's never to the point of, of being – it's not for the purpose of being offensive. I'll say that. It's – just two guys just having fun, two comedians, and we've been doing comedy both for about 11 years, so it's fun, man. We, it's, it's all it's supposed to be. You know, I mentioned on the show, and uh, it's funny because like, I, I really do remember Patrick his first couple of times on stage when he was 18 years old, and I'm like, yeah. my goodness. I just It's so amazing that, that how time flies to think about that's this. Cool. This is a guy that's now, you know, he's married. He's got a kid. He's, he's moving on with his life and, and doing this. And I'm like, and I, I remember when he was barely old enough to even get into the club to be able to perform. Right. Yeah. That is funny. I, I, I didn't meet him that early. I think when I met him, he had maybe, maybe at 23 or something like that, 2021. 20, um, but yeah, I, it's funny because we've done a lot of different things together as far as we've gone to, second city and taking classes together in Chicago. And we've um, done a lot of different comedy shows throughout and it's kind of been a natural form. I mean, even just normal shows, we would always get together and kind of laugh to ourselves in a corner, but now we get to do that for the world. So it works out, but yeah, he's a really funny dude. He's a guy who can uh, take a concept and go like extra to the extra limit, not, I won't say too far, but close to too far a lot of times. Um, but that's my guy, man. Yeah. He's, he's a good guy. You can tell sitting in the studio and it comes across through the show, but sitting in the studio, you can tell you guys really have a good time interacting with each other. Like, yeah. like, I mean, obviously if the microphones wouldn't on, you would still be laughing at each other doing the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We are, I'm trying to think of like, uh, if you, Remember in like high school, if there were like two guys that were always laughing, you never knew what they were laughing about, but they would always just be in the hallway when class was going on and just like making each other laugh. That's pretty much where we are right now is we're those two guys that just we haven't made it to class on time because we've been too busy making each other laugh. Um, I think he's one of the funniest people I know. And I think he might feel the same. <laughs> it's hard to say. I think he feels but, that way. He probably feels like he's one of the funniest people you know. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, he's he's a ridiculous. He's ridiculous. But that's it's one of my best friends, man. I really like the guy. He's, he's very funny. I wish he could have been on today, but he had some previous engagements. I know. Um, yeah, he's in. He's uh, taking master's classes doing something. So, yeah, he wouldn't be able to come. But um, I mean, he. he I don't understand this. Stuff. I don't understand this going to college stuff, trying to build a a career to make you know eighty know. ninety thousand dollars when you can make hundreds of dollars a week being a comedian. It just don't right. make sense. <laughs> hey, Sean, you know something we don't. You guys, uh, you guys have had some pretty big uh, guests on the show too. Tell us about a couple of guests you've had on. Uh, yeah, we've had uh, Mike Kaplan. 
uh, who's an up-and-coming comedian. Who's uh, He's had some comedy specials on Netflix, and he's been on Comedy Central. Um, that was the most recent one. We've also had Jay Farrow, uh, and he just has a, a Showtime um, show that I guess just started called White Famous, which is a um, pretty funny show. I've watched a couple episodes, so yeah. Um, we've gotten lucky. It's usually um, they're in town or we happen to be on the show with them, and they're just kind enough to do the show with us. Um, Patrick actually has a pretty good relationship with Jay, so that's how we got that one. Um, so, yeah, the, the a lot of times it's just people we know, friends, or um, people that we admire in, in comedy or uh, improv sometimes, and people we just think we'll be able to have fun with. And sometimes people we're just curious about and don't know a lot about and want to um, get them to be in our playground, so to speak, so we can um, get to know a little bit more about them. But, okay. yeah, it's, it's always a guest, um, and we always find some way to have fun with our guests. I'm going to try to get Patrick get me hooked up with Jay because he's actually one of my favorite comedians. I'm infatuated with anybody that can do impressions and impersonations. Oh, yeah. And he's just, so the, he amazes me at what he's able to do. So that was one of the high parts of that episode was we actually had an episode with Jay who, like you said, amazing, phenomenal impressionist. And he um, and Patrick did an impression off. And Patrick is not good at impressions. So it, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And it was face-to-face. I mean, you know, it was right before a show, um, and we just got to goof around with him and another talented comedian, A.J. Foster, and um, just kind of mess around with them. And it was a good time, man. We we always have a good time. But that was that was a really fun and uh, uh, kind of a important show for us because it was one of the bigger names that we've gotten. I'm going to bring it down for just a second because uh, in the last couple of days, we actually lost a comedian, uh, Ralphie May. Right. And uh, right. I'm, I'm not sure if you have a connection with Ralphie, but I know Patrick has actually uh, uh, been on the same bill and opened up for, for Ralphie and, and had nothing but kind things to say about uh, how much Ralphie actually taught him uh, yeah. about the business. Have you had any uh, experiences with Ralphie? I didn't. Um, I know a lot of people who did. And like you said, everybody uh, had nothing but really good things to say about him. It's interesting and I guess it kind of speaks to comedy as a community. I mean, most comedians are kind of different people. I mean, they, they're, a lot of them aren't nice people. A lot of them aren't funny. I mean, the things that people would think of as a comedian, uh, this like class clown kind of life of the party person is usually not the, the behavior and the personalities that you meet. You meet some really unique personalities. Um, and everybody, had nothing but good things to say about Ralphie, which is it stands out in the comedy community because that's not usually the case for comedians. You know, um, so I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You, you're, no, no, you're, you're right, fine. though. It's, people, people have a misconception that you know a comedian, which, and I'm one of the rare breeds that I typically am on all the time, and I don't mean that in a in a in a kind of a pump myself way. I just mean that I laugh and joke all the time, no matter where I'm at. Yeah. And, yeah. but there's a lot of comedians that aren't like that. There's a lot of comedians, uh, that are really depressed when they're not on stage. Yeah. Their only happiness is on stage. And when people hear, Absolutely. you know, Robin Williams and, and some of these other comedians that actually commit suicide, it just blows their mind that, that somebody would do that because they just picture them as being happy, go lucky clowns all right. the time. But the reality is there's a lot of comedians. I would say most comedians, have a very tragic past 
and they use comedy as a kind of a, a getaway, a scapegoat, uh, so to speak, just to get on with life. But when they're not on stage, they, they have a very tough time. Now, Ralphie, obviously his situation was, uh, uh, medical condition because of his, right. uh, I'm assuming mainly because of his weight and what have you, but, uh, you know, but there's a lot of comedians out there. Like you said, they don't have the personality that most people say. There, a lot of them are loners. You'll see them yeah. in a the club, and they're off in a corner by themselves. Uh, and it, and these are some of the biggest names you'll ever see. I mean, but like you said, the Robin Williams, Richard Jenny. Uh, you know, he committed suicide years ago, and then you know, mm-hmm. you hear you hear about some of these uh people. It just it just amazes you how tragic it are. The Chris Farleys and the John Belushi's, and you know, yeah. they, they just they just weren't happy people, and that I don't think they they start out and, and intend on being mean people. They're just not happy people, and if you're not happy. And, and you're used to putting on a show for people when you're not putting on that show. You don't want to even be bothered by people. Right. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I, it's interesting because for me, I mean, like I said, I work in elementary school um, and working in that field and people find out that I'm a comedian. A lot of times people are like, well, you don't even you don't even seem funny. You don't look funny. You don't. <laughs> I mean, you know, you seem pretty quiet or whatever. I mean, you know, I think it's. um the power of performance, the power of the microphone, it creates a different persona. It's different. I mean, it's it's one of those things that um, unless you've ever done it or been around it, it's really hard to explain because um, I think people can grasp and understand the difference, but it's just a different experience. And so that expectation of, you know, you have to always be on, it's exhausting. Um, and that, that expectation of, uh, oh, you're a comedian? Tell me a joke. Like, no, no, I'm not. No, <laughs> like I would much rather not do that because it's like asking a painter to paint without a canvas. Like you, the stage and the microphone are important and in part of of being a comedian. And to remove that is to remove the context. So um, it's it's different, man. And, it, and it's uh, it's fun. It's a challenge. And um, I, I love doing comedy, but sometimes, you you know. You also got to do different things, and that's where the podcast comes in to try to stretch and do some different comedic um, ideas, and and not just the same old, same old. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a second to plug uh, my appearance on your podcast because it was a, yeah. a it was a big deal to me. I mean, you know, when you got guests like some of the guests you've had on there uh, to ask me to be on there, I was very much honored, and I appreciate it. And it's the first podcast in probably five years that I actually got to do with somebody face-to-face and not over the phone because I just happened, nice. happened to be in town. So uh, that even made it more fun. But it was a chance for me to cut loose. You know, you've heard our show. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm a very kind of uh, restrained comically on our show. We throw a couple of quips out there. But for the most part, it's we let the paranormal take the lead. Uh, yeah. But in your show, I was able to just cut back and we, we, we talked some paranormal. So if you guys right. out there listening like that part of it, we do, we talk some paranormal back and forth, but it was a chance for me to just say some things that I typically can't say on this show, uh, for lack yeah. of offending people. And, uh, you know, language was a little bit different, you know, from me on that. So for everybody who wants to hear that side of me, you know, I suggest that they, they check out that episode, uh, about time. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, everybody who doesn't know, I mean, Jerry did comedy for a very long time. And so um, you guys will get a treat if you don't know that side of him. It, it's definitely a fun episode. and You get to see it. So check it out. Now, Sean, during the course of your episode, you asked me 
about paranormal, personal paranormal experiences. And mm-hmm. I told you a story, which in tune caused you to tell me a story. And I thought the story was absolutely fascinating. It kind of tied in a little bit. Uh, to my story, which I had never had anybody have a tie-in that was a similar, yeah. and by tie-in, I mean it was just a kind of a similar uh, twist to the story, and I thought it would be awesome if you came on and told that story, so I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you tell your story. Sure. Okay. Um, so um, we're going to go back to when I was 17 years old, um, and I am asleep in my bed. Um, this is 3 a.m. in the morning, 3-something a.m. in the morning. And that's always and, a bad time, by the way. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've learned that later on <laughs> in life, that um, there is a uh, certain times, I guess there. some people refer to it as the witching hour, and then some people just say it's, there's a time where there is more spiritual uh, or um, ghostly awakenings that happen at certain times than other times. Yeah. Um, I wasn't aware of that. But I am more aware of that now. Um, so no, it was three something in the morning, and uh, I'm in bed, and I wake up um, fully awake, and, and uh, I'll get into that in a second. But I'm fully awake, and at the edge of my bed, there's a figure um, that is has its back turned to me, facing the wall, and I get scared, and I go to like move and or scream and I, I can't move. And um, I'm sitting paralyzed watching this figure at the edge of my bed. And then it sits down on my bed. And as it sits down on my bed, I can feel the weight of the bed pressed down and my eyes shut tight and I can't open my eyes anymore. And so I can't scream. I'm, I'm paralyzed, can't move. Um, I've had some other people when I tell the story that say that you know, this was a uh, sleep paralysis, <clears throat> but, um, I fully believe that I was awake 100%. Um, and a lot of that being just because of, you know, knowing sight, smell, sound, I mean, being fully aware of what was going on around me, which I guess could still be sleep paralysis, but to my knowledge, um, and to my experience, I felt like I was fully awake. So I'm awake, um, sitting down on my edge of my bed is this figure. My eyes are shut. I can't move. Uh, I feel the, the, uh, thing on the edge of my bed get up. There is a weight that releases from the bed. I can hear the, um, thing at the end of my bed move closer to me. It's a slow move and it moves over to the side of me. Um, I'm laying face up. And I can feel this figure move um, right beside my face. And at which point you can feel like as if uh, the heat from somebody else's face is right beside you. Like if you put your hand beside your face, you can kind of feel the heat from your hand. Um, Similar to that. So I could feel the heat from uh, this face next to me and feel what felt like a light fan or fanning as if... um, there's like a, um, a palm tree being fanned onto me or a palm from a palm tree being fanned on me. Um, so I can feel this fanning on my face and I start hearing a whisper from the figure and it was saying something like your birthday, his birthday, a birthday, something about a birthday repeatedly. The only thing that could stick out was birthday and it was whispered over and over and over. 
I start getting feeling back into my hands and my arms, and I ball up my fist with my right hand, and I swing left over top of me. Um, My fist catches the figure's face, and then it pushes through the face. Um, So it would be like if you were to uh, hit an actual... I almost want to say like a, a catcher's mitt or something and it gets caught or maybe a spider web and it gets caught and then it pushes through and then the figure disappears. So I get up, I'm in a panic and I go to my parents' room, knock on the door and uh, I let them know something was in my room and I'm scared and, you know, they talk to me and try to calm me down and let me know, you know, I'm okay and whatever. So I have to go to work the next morning. Um, when I go to work the next morning, uh, I'm working in produce, so I'm, I'm put, <clears throat> putting up potatoes and um, tomatoes and all those kind of things. My boss comes in and he says, hey, uh, Sean, can you come back here for a second? Um, now, my boss, normal 17-year-old to 25-year-old boss relationship, which means there really isn't any relationship other than... <laughs> Hi, how are you doing? What's going on? You know, very basic kind of stuff. So I go back there, and he goes, hey, um, I know this might be kind of weird, but uh, God told me that whatever you experienced last night, it's okay. And I was like, what? What did you say? He was like, yeah, uh, I know, man, it's probably weird, but did you experience something last night? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, I the good news is, is God told me that whatever you experience, it's okay, and don't worry about it. I was like, all right, uh, okay. Um, so, yeah, that's the the first part of, of that story. The, the next part of it was is that um, I, my parents have the same birthday, and so we have this big kind of family reunion thing that happens for my parents' birthday where both sides of the family come. Um, that weekend is when it happened the weekend after this event. And, um, my brothers, uh, all come down and, um, Oh, I I forgot to mention, I always forget to mention this part. Um, at the time, like before the figure showed up, there's this noise that sounds like silence is getting louder in your ears. It's like a, whoo, 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 whoo. Um, and it starts really quiet and it just gets louder and louder and louder. So anyway, at this party, my parents are like, Hey, tell your brothers what happened to you in the room. And I'm sheepish about it. I don't want to say it because my brothers are older and they make fun of me about everything. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to share it. Uh, <clears throat> so my first brother, I was like, yeah, so, okay, I'm in the room. And then I hear this noise like, whoo, whoo, whoo. he was like, Oh, like, yeah, it starts getting louder and louder in your ear. Then he was like, wait a second, did you meet the guy that's in the room? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, like you couldn't move and you're paralyzed. And I was like, oh, that happened to you too? So then my older brother hears it and he's like, yeah, like you can't move and you can't like open your eyes, but you like can feel the figure in the room and it's like talking to you. So at that point we found out that um, all of us had the same experience in that room. Uh, or a similar experience, not the exact same, but a similar experience where <clears throat> silence gets louder and louder in your ears and then you can't move and then there's this figure in the room that interacts with you. So then 
we all assumed that it was something specific to that room until about seven to eight years later when my niece experienced it in her room at my brother's house. And she came into my brother's room and said uh, that there was a guy in the room and she couldn't move or anything. And so she's been the last person that's had the experience happen in my family. Now, did you say she was in a different house, though? Yes, she's in a different house. She was in my brother's house. Uh, now, let me ask you this. When when this happened to you, was that brother still living at, at your house at the time, or had he already moved out? He'd already moved out. So when it happened to us, it didn't happen. It wasn't like the same day <clears throat> or anything like that. It had happened, um, I'd say, maybe seven years apart from each other, honestly, when I think about it. Well, not between them. So we were all somewhere in between um, 14 and 23 when it happened. Um, so all of my brothers uh, were living in that room when it happened. I was actually in the room with uh, the brother closest to me in age when it happened to him. But I was like four, and he told me that after it happened, he got in bed with me because he was scared and didn't know what happened. Um, I don't remember the event, I, you know, at that age. I don't, you know, I have no, it wasn't like it happened to me twice. I just happened to be in the room, I guess, at the same time. So I guess I'm, um, tr- I'm trying to figure out what the connection could be because at first, like, you know, if, if, if your brother, the one where your niece, had it at his house. If if that brother had some kind of an attachment to him and he was living at your house at the same time you were living in your house, that would kind of make sense that maybe it's an attachment to him, which is why it moved from one house to the other. But if he wouldn't live in at your house during the time that happened, that wouldn't make a connection either. Right. Nope. He wasn't living at that. He wasn't living there at that time. Um, and when my the brother closest to me was living there, he might have been there then. Um, so yeah, I agree. I don't know <clears throat> if there is any kind of, uh, one that is connected to a specific person or if it's connected to the family or it's not connected to the room, which is what we all originally thought. So uh, we have no idea. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, Sean, I'm not, and, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you. I think that story is actually one of the coolest stories that I've heard, which is, uh, and then, like I said, there was kind of a tie because, in the story with my mom, I'm not going to rehash it because most people have heard this story already. But with my mom, somebody came to me after the fact and started, you know, people I didn't know and just started telling me stuff that they should have known, which was similar to you with your boss. I mean, he just happened to come yeah. to you talking about an event that happened the night before. Right. And that, that's the two things that are similar. And I had never heard anybody have a story or part of a story that involved some, a complete, well, in your case, wasn't a stranger, but it was somebody that didn't know anything that was going on. It just happened to send a message to you, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at the right time too, cause I was freaked out. I, I do have a, uh, I guess a witness for my boss telling me this cause I was working there with my best friend at the time. Hmm. Uh, and so then I had to come clean to my best friend what had happened because I was just going to keep it to myself the whole day. <laughs> like <laughs> I, was, I had no intent to tell him what was going on at all. Um, and since then, I've uh, paid attention more to, to time. Um, I frequently see the number the numbers 3-6 together. But at that time, I would always see the number 10-13. And so people were telling me that like about um, 
there's like a spirits or angels oftentimes will speak to people through time um and that there's something to that so i for a while i was kind of looking at that i wish i could remember what i had found with that but um at that time especially when i was at work a lot of times my friend would be around and every time i would look at the clock it would be set at 10:13 for whatever reason um so that was a uh, another I, I guess potential thing that could have been connected to it, but I, again, I don't know. I, I um, it's funny when you said it's one of the coolest stories you've ever you've heard. It's so normalized to me at this point because I've been telling it for years, and you know, having family who's experienced too, and we we've all just kind of normalized it. So it's it's funny when you say that because it's like, oh yeah, that yeah, it is pretty unique and and cool, but. It's just, it's such a part of our family at this point that I don't even think of it that way. It's funny that you talk about, um, you know, the numbers speaking to you, because I got some friends that swear by that, but usually the number is 420. So I don't, <laughs> uh, I don't think it's the same thing, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hard to say. Hard to say. And Sean, you said, um, did this, did this have an effect on your spirituality? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, at the time I was, uh, I considered myself to be an atheist and, um, just not, not a believer and not, um, not against others that believe, but I just, there was a time when I believed wholeheartedly. And then, uh, I took an experiment and said, what would happen if I stopped praying and stopped doing everything? And the world didn't explode when I stopped. So I was like, Oh, God's not real. And that was all I needed to believe that. Um, but then after this happened, it really did kind of, uh, awaken that for me when I felt like there was a, um, there was an actual connection or there was more going on than just the things that we could see. And there is, uh, another level to life, I guess, so to speak. And so it made me, um, kind of get more into church and trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, if there's more going on, what is it, what is it that I believe and, and all of those things involved. So it definitely started me back um, into into finding out more about where I was spiritually and, and what I believe spiritually. And now, um, I'm, you know, I'm very involved in, in church and and have a, a still my own my own thing. I mean, I think it's different because another thing we talked about comedians earlier there's a lot of comedians who don't believe in God. I mean, it's just, that's just what it is. And, and that's fine. But, um, a lot of times I feel like I can connect to them on that level. Cause I've been there before. Right. Um, and I have that understanding, but I also have an understanding of having this experience, which is so unique and so, um, otherworldly that, I mean, it, it's hard for me to, um, believe anything else. I guess just because of my own experience. Now, did you, uh, did you join a cult or anything like that afterwards? No, uh, no, <laughs> I didn't think so, but it would have made the story a lot more interesting. It um, <laughs> it been. Sean, it's been awesome having you on. Tell everybody how they can, uh, find about time. Sure. Uh, about time is, um, on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and you can also go on about time. Libsyn, L I B S Y N dot com um and yeah we're on all of those platforms 
Uh, some platforms that we don't even know. Every once in a while, I'll get an update from a platform that I didn't even know I was on, and I find out I'm on there. So the main ones, iTunes um, and Lipson, and you can also send us an email at bouttimepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, about Time Podcast on iTunes, on Twitter, and on Facebook. So, yeah, check us out and let us know what you think. And thanks, Jerry. Thanks for, for letting me come on and tell my story. It's no problem, man. I think everybody's going to love your story. If, uh, and do me a favor, guys. Go check out the podcast. Give them a, give them a chance. See what you think. And, um, you know, if you like what you hear, send them a message on Twitter and, uh, on, uh, Facebook and, and just let them know that you, you heard about them here and that you, uh, like the show. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, Sean. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Jerry. So how cool was Sean's story? That was really cool. Very cool. Yeah, I thought that was a very interesting story. And like I said, I, I really do think that's actually one of the cooler stories that I heard when you tie in all the different aspects from the boss, mm-hmm. knowing what go on, to finding out that his brothers had all experienced the had same, the thing, same and thing and his niece in a totally different house. Yes. So, wow. really cool. I don't, that's so weird, especially with the boss. Now, the family, I don't know. And maybe you could see that, but the boss... Coming and saying that to him, yeah, it was pretty cool. But you do realize that's not Bruce Springsteen that said that to him. It's you like know, his boss like at work. I don't like him. I don't what? like Bruce Springsteen at all. We're going to end the show on that note. I don't. Thank I don't you guys know. so much. Before Tracy gets us in trouble with the boss, uh, um, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for a record number week. We had a record number of listeners. Ninja's excited as hell about it, as you can hear. Every time we talk numbers, he gets I know. He, gets he all just like, is like, oh my God. But we had a record number of listeners. We had all kinds of people come to ScareFest. We got the newspaper article. None of this happens without you guys. Thank Absolutely. you so much. We love you guys. Hope you all have a great week.